0: Okay, welcome back to Torah Shaim. Um, as we've mentioned a couple times before in our previous discussions, the idea here is to study Torah as Torah Shaim, as instructions for living, meaning we try and apply the lessons of Torah in a practical and present way in our lives. And, you know, I, I want to point out something else, <clears throat> um, another component, perhaps, of this concept of Torah Chai, and that is just as we want to apply Torah that we learn to our everyday lives, I think we also do it in the other direction. We take what happens to us in our everyday lives and incorporate that into our Torah learning. Um, Very interesting. You know, there's an idea from the Baal Shem Tov that whatever happens to you um, is a message. Um, even thoughts that pop up in your head in middle of davening are deliberate.
1: Yikes. <laughs> um,
0: and while I'm not sure that I live uh, on the level of the Baal Shem Tov of being aware of that, um, <clears throat> there are certainly, certainly the larger events in life. Um, we both struggle to deal with them and move through them and, and grow through them. Um, but also they give us depth and meaning and understanding into ourselves and into the Torah. Um, the Ramban, Nachmanides in his introduction to the Torah talks about how everything is hinted to in the Torah. And if you want to challenge him, you might go the way of his student Avner, I think we talked about that story one time, how Ramban had a student named Avner who left the fold. Um, That's not a new phenomenon. This has been going on for generations, for millennia. Um, Anyhow, uh, one Yom Kippur, Avner summoned, actually, because he had become a person of prominence in the secular world. He summoned his former Rebbe, the Ramban, uh, to come before him on Yom Kippur. And when the Ramban entered the room, he... Now, this is one of those apocryphal stories. So, did it happen? Did it not happen?
1: It might have happened.
0: It might have happened. It might not have happened. But the point is is still there. Um, He took a piece of pork and he threw it on a fire and roasted it and ate it. And he asked his Rebbe the Ramban, how many transgressions did I just transgress? Which is pretty, I mean, talk about Jewish chutzpah, <laughs> right? <clears throat> and so they argued, they argued about it. Ramban said one number and he said, No, you missed one. Not really our discussion for right now. Anyhow, finally the Ramban asked him, he said, Can you please explain to me what was it that, you know, that turned you off? And he said, well, I'll tell you, you once in sheer said that everything in the history of the Jewish people is hinted to in the Parsha of Hazinu. And the Ramban actually in his commentary on the Torah mentions that. And he said, I couldn't believe it. I said, that's, that's, that's a bridge too far. That's impossible. Okay. Now, obviously that wasn't, you know, as you and I know, it's not from something like that, that a person decides to abandon everything that you know, they've lived with until that point, but right. <clears throat> this was the issue that he presented to the Ramban. So he said, I, I couldn't accept that. And so therefore um, I decided to find a different source of meaning in my life.
1: Okay.
0: So the Ramban said, but it's true. And his student Avner said, really, where am I hinted to? In Parshas Hazino,
1: and of sounding familiar. Sounding but familiar. I don't remember.
0: <laughs> and he replied to Avner without missing a beat. If you look at the pasuk in Hazino, it says, "Amarti af ehem ashbisa me And if you take the third letter of each of those words, it spells out Avner. And what the phrase in the Torah means is that God said, "I would destroy them. I would make their memory lost from humankind."
1: Thanks.
0: <laughs> and Um, Avner got the message, though perhaps he took the message a little much, too much to heart because the end of the story goes that he set himself afloat on a boat without oars. And that was the last that was ever seen of him. But leaving that aside, um, (laughs)
1: on that cheerful
0: note, (laughs) on that cheerful note, yes, the Ramban in his introduction, talks about how there are really two ways that we can come to wisdom, to Chachma. Uh, One is through the Torah, which is how he describes how Shlomo HaMelech, the wisest, described as the wisest, King Solomon described as the wisest of all people. How he became, who, how he got his wisdom, he says, was all through the study of Torah. Or you can study the Bria, you can study creation, and you can come to wisdom that way. But there are two kind of intersecting um okay. approaches right you know? and so therefore i think that creation in this case not just the study of science and nature etc but the study of our lives is really meant to go together with our study of torah to help us to discover wisdom so okay. with that in mind I want to share with you a thought that actually just occurred to me a couple minutes ago. Okay. So I'm. Is this
1: just, on yet or Well, still it an will relate. Okay. It will
0: relate. Hopefully, that's the idea. We have to take it and see how it is Your father fits would be into proud. how it fits <laughs> into our uh, our life. You know, they say that what makes a rabbi is he can tie anything into into the weekly Parsha. Right.
1: Right. So
0: uh, here goes. This is my test for rabbinics. Um, I think I'd prefer this one to the other one. That's a different discussion. <laughs> so I just came back from a wedding. And you know, the truth is, I mean, whenever I go to weddings, I'm, I'm filled with mixed feelings, being the antisocial person that I am. Um,
1: I guess it's no secret anymore.
0: <laughs> so, but I, I think more than, more than usual, I was very, I had very, very mixed feelings going to this wedding. Um, and I actually bumped into, at the wedding, um, a friend of mine related to the family of, of the Hassan of the groom, and we were discussing this a little bit. You know, there's a fascinating phenomenon that's happening in Israel right now,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and that is that there has been a explosion in marriages among soldiers. Right. Which, if you think about it, is pretty wild. Right. You would think the opposite. In fact, typically, the reaction is the opposite. You know, um, in times of uncertainty, um, people don't want to... Right,
1: they kind of put a pause on... They put a
0: pause everything. on everything. But actually, it's it's um, it's been the opposite. And I was thinking about this, and of course, that was kind of the... The mixed feelings that i had in going to this wedding is you know on the one hand we're living in very um dire is too too negative a word but very um frightening very somber uh, times um you know there's a lot going on in the world particularly in the jewish world mm. um and a lot of it is not necessarily particularly happy. <laughs> um, Most of it. And yet, on the other hand, you know, going to a wedding. And the ironic thing is, you know, at a wedding itself, at the chuppah itself, we actually say that famous pasuk from Tehillim, im eshkachei Yerushalayim tishka meenu. You know, if I forget you, Yerushalayim, let me forget my right hand, my ability to play music. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we say that right at the climax of the chuppah. Right. You know, we smash that that plate. And in fact, many are not particularly excited about the, you know, how the band tends to immediately jump into very joyous music. It kind of seems to miss the point. Right. But, you know, on the other hand, I think that this is part of the nature of what it is to be a Jew. Part of the nature of what it is to be a Jew is to live with God in good times and in bad. And sometimes even those good times and bad times come together. Let me elaborate a little bit. Avraham, who we are introduced to in this week's Torah portion, Parshas Lachlecha, Lecha. Abraham is the Av, he's the father. He is the father of our nation. He is the... Progenitor of the Jewish people. Avram is the only one, we are told, explicitly by our sages, who received 10 tests.
1: Right.
0: Now, anyone who's gone through a test in their life knows that tests are not necessarily easy. They're not necessarily joyous. In fact, we'll see. I believe that that was a huge part of what Avraham's 10 tests were. It wasn't a question of whether or not he would believe God. It was a question of how he would interact with God through the difficulties. Wow. Um, And I think that, by the way, will answer a very important question, which we'll get to in just a minute. And I think the Jewish response to tragedy is we don't brush it off we definitely experience it and and mourn i mean we have
1: have it right
0: we have our shiva we have our shloshim right we have a yearly tisha bav right you know we don't push we don't ignore it but on the other hand we push forward and we don't let that hold us back and we don't let that stop us from living our lives um I think that is a profoundly Jewish response. I think that perhaps explains the phenomenon that we're seeing. You know, that people feel like with everything that has happened, with all of the horrific images that we've seen over the course of the last couple of weeks, we're still going to move on. We're still going to fight on because that is what it means to be a Jew. Wow. Some of the commentaries are bothered by the following question. You know, we mentioned the wait, 10 wait, tests. You didn't, you didn't I know. read the passage yet? I know. Oh, okay. Because it's an introduction. <laughs> okay. <laughs> let me let me finish the question. Okay. It comes from a Mishnah in Pirkei Avos. The Mishnah in Pirkei Avos tells us that there were 10 tests that Abraham was tested. Right. Now the truth is the Mishnah does not enumerate what the ten tests were. However, the commentaries on the Mishnah do, I was and actually,
1: the teachers did.
0: <laughs> <laughs> actually, there are different opinions.
1: Okay.
0: Um, some are of the opinion that the first of the ten tests was the story of Avram in Ur Kastim. So Avram was raised by his father Terach, who was an idolater, and who as the Midrash describes it, owned an idol shop. Remember this story from when you were in elementary school? I sure do. Maybe we can get a little bit of a deeper, uh, more adult appreciation of this story. So what did
1: it teach you in He
0: he, His father owned this idol shop. And Avraham, you have to understand, our sages describe Avraham essentially in the way that socrates is described by the greek historians he was the person who questioned everything okay and as was true with socrates they put him to death uh it's not a good idea to question everything or rather i should say it's not a safe idea to question everything and the people in positions of power oftentimes are very worried about questioners like that right and the same was true with Abraham. Abraham, in questioning everything, was brought to trial. And the trial for him was he was given the opportunity to either worship idols or to jump into this fiery furnace. Right. Or costume. One interpretation of that means the fire or furnace of costume. Incidentally, by the way, um, J.R.R. Tolkien borrowed the term Ur.
1: That's the one from Star Wars?
0: Yes, exactly.
1: <laughs> um, I apologize to all the nerds out there. I'm sorry for doing so, that. So
0: anyhow, Ur means furnace or fire, according to one interpretation. So he was given this challenge, and he chose to go into the fire, and he jumped into the fire, and sure enough, he was fine. According to some, <clears throat> that is the first of the 10 cha- the ten trials, or the 10 trials, Nisyonos, challenges we'll, we'll have to find a better word I think to translate okay. the word nisyon. According to others that was actually not. the first one is the one that's mentioned right in the beginning of this week's Parsha. <clears throat> God said to Avram leave your house your land, your birthplace, your father's house, to the land that i will show you all right so they say it doesn't say anywhere in the torah it doesn't discuss that test that first of the ten tests according to those other opinions they're of the opinion that this is the first of the ten tests okay. and i think according to either opinion you have to answer the following question why does the torah not discuss it whether it is the first of the ten tests or whether Ur-Kassim. it's not the first of the ten tests, this Ur costume story—the story of Avram's being challenged—taught
1: in midrashim.
0: Only in midrash. Oh wow! It's not there. If you turn back to last week's Torah portion, we're barely introduced to Avram. We're really more introduced to Terach, his father, and we're told that Terach left Ur Kasdim to go to Canaan, but we're not told why, and it's only with the Midrashic background that we know it. Why is it not discussed in the Torah? And I want to share with you um, an idea from Rabbi Noah Weinberg of Blessed Memory, um, the founder of Aisha Torah. And he said, to be tested about whether you are willing to give up your life for something is not the definition of a test. Now, Uh We would imagine like that's the ultimate test, right? Are you willing to give up your life for something? But the truth is, unfortunately, we see in the world at large that people are willing to give up their lives for all sorts of terrible causes. The real test is discover what it is that you're willing to give your life for and then live your life for that. Living life is the test. So either it wasn't even one of the tests or it's the perhaps least important of the tests. But either way, the tests that we're going to see Abraham go through in this week's Torah portion are all about not whether he's willing to give up his life or for that matter, whether he's willing to sacrifice his son's life. That's not what the Akedah that final test, the Binding of Isaac, is about. And we'll have to discuss that when we get there.
1: Okay.
0: <laughs> right. It's not about whether he's willing to sacrifice his child. Because we see people sacrifice children all the time. Again, sometimes for horrific causes. And in fact, child sacrifice was a very regular part of the ancient pagan world.
1: Yeah.
0: Right? Um. And Avram rejected. So
1: when it. did the world just like wake up and say, "Oh wow, that's a terrible thing to
0: do"? <clears throat> well, I th- I think we owe a lot to Christianity in that sense. Okay. Um, and this is not my own idea. This is Rambam. Maimonides actually says this that Christianity is to be praised to a certain degree for having spread monotheism. and Even though we don't Torah really concepts. To the world at large. Accidentally. <laughs> well, yes, but, you know, right. it, they, they certainly broadened our reach to a certain degree, right? Yeah. right? Um, so that's not my idea. That's actually the Rambam writes that in a letter. But not our our, our, our discussion so much right now. The point is the following. The test and the tests of Avram is about how a person lives their life with the challenges that they are given. Wow. So, I'll show it to you right here in this very first verse. God says to Avram, leave your your land, your birthplace, your father's house to the land that I will show you. But notice, he says, lech lecha, go for yourself. What does that mean, go for yourself? So, Rashi gives the very obvious explanation, which is based on the following verse. That God told Avram, listen, if you stay here, you're not going to become anything. You're not going to have children. You're not going to have the fabulous wealth that Avram was able to amass or the fame that Avram was able to garner. Go so that you're able to get those things. Go for you. Go to grow into who you're supposed to become. Now, let me ask you a question. God comes to you. I mean, assuming you actually know that it's God, and we don't have to call the men in white coats. But God comes to you and says, "Here are your two options: <clears throat> stay here and be nothing, or go there and be everything." Is that a test? Not really. And yet, this is clearly, according to all opinions, one of the ten tests.
1: Right.
0: Why is it a test? I think the test well, you have is to believe
1: that. In God, you have to believe. That God he knows. comes to you and
0: talks to you. It's pretty easy to believe well, in Him.
1: didn't Avram discover that, like he was the first one right. to recognize God? But that's God.
0: not the test. Everything yeah, but- that happens yeah. in Avram's prehistory, so to speak, the Torah completely ignores. Okay. It starts off with the assumption that God is speaking to Avram. Okay. I
1: hear right? that. Okay. So
0: if God is speaking to you, do you have a test?
1: no i guess not yes you do okay
0: because as soon as he's gone and the first thing goes wrong you're gonna wonder and then something else goes wrong and in fact avram's entire story is everything goes wrong he comes into the land and it's not what he expects he he has to there's a famine in the land and he has to go down to egypt can you right? Can you imagine what was going on or what would p- possibly be going on in Avram's mind? God, hello. You told me to come here because this is where everything's gonna work out. And everything's not working out.
1: Everything is terrible.
0: Right. That's the test. How you deal with the challenges in your life is the test. How Avram deals with those challenges. Not whether he's gonna listen to God or not. That's not the test. But how is he going to overcome the difficulties that are placed in his way? And more than that, you know, I've been using the word test, nisayon. And the truth is many, particularly of the Rishon of the early Torah commentaries, are bothered by the question, what does that mean? God tests a person. Doesn't God know whether or not they're going to pass? So how is it a test? Right. A test assumes that you don't know what's going to happen. Right. And one of the answers that's given is that the word Nisayon really comes from the Hebrew word nes, which means either a banner or a miracle. Meaning it is through the process of tests that we become, that we are uplifted like a banner, who we are meant to become. It's not that God is unsure whether or not we're going to pass. We only become the result of that test through the test, through the challenges and difficulties that we weather in life. They make us into who we become. And that's what a Nisayon really is. That's what a test really is. Wow. Right. <clears throat> so God tells him, Go. Right and I, I, you know, I want to bring this into maybe more modern or perhaps kind of more relevant terminology, right? Okay. So I've moved across across the country, right? And I know it's it's not because so it easy. <laughs> yes, because I love you and I wanted to be with you and I wanted to live here in these wonderful city of Lakewood where you were living. (laughs) So it's not easy by any means to move across the country, right? But, but, right? It's doable. Right. Right? It's not simply the fact that God is telling Avram, oh, by the way, can you move? That's not what God is telling Avram. Right. God is telling Avram I want you to go somewhere where, as far as you know, there is nothing there for you. And it's not like, well, there's nothing where I am right now either. I want you to leave your land. It is your land. Right?
1: Right.
0: We identify, you and I, as Americans. Right. Right. And even if we're outside of the United States, we probably still identify as Americans. Right. Right. And when you come into the airport after traveling internationally and they say, welcome home, we kind of feel that way. Right. Right. There is a feeling of home base. Right. Right. And Avram is being told, leave your home base. Right? Right. That's what it means. Leave your land. Right. Leave your birthplace. What does that mean? That means. Everything that you're familiar with, right? Your birthplace is the place where the customs are all familiar to you. If you ever had the experience of traveling to a country where they don't speak your language, right? (laughs) Or if you've ever had the experience, even if it's not traveling to another country, but, you know, for example, I remember the first time that I davened at anywhere other than my father's shul for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur.
1: Right.
0: Do you remember that?
1: Well, I remember (coughs) the first time I did daven at your father's shul for Rosh Hashanah. Okay, but do you
0: remember the first time, if you grew up the way that, I'm assuming you grew up in a similar way to the way I did, right? You davened in one place, every Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Right. Right? And then, all of a sudden, you're somewhere else, and remember how awkward that feels? The, yeah. You don't recognize the tunes, right? You don't recognize, like, the even just the physical space feels different.
1: Right, 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 for sure.
0: That's what it means when we describe your birthplace. Your birthplace is the place where everything feels comfortable. Not just your home base, right? But where, where everything drink. makes... <laughs> cheers, <laughs> right? Where everybody knows your name. And more than just everybody knows your name, everything you know kind of just makes sense, right? Here's another example, right? Mm-hmm. Driving on the other side of the road, mm-hmm. right?
1: Never done that, right? Probably so you, if you go, like.
0: if if you go to the UK, right? right. Is there you is there anything better, so to speak, with driving on one side of the road than driving on the other side of the road? No, not necessarily. It's just what you're used to, right? Right. For someone who came from the UK, like my father, and, and, and you know, now has to drive in the United States, to him, it was weird to be driving on the other side of the road. Right. Right? Your birthplace means the place where things just make sense to you. It's driving on the right side of the road. So God says, take everything you know. Your Take your home base. Take that place where everything makes sense to you. You know, everything works. Everything's established.
1: Right, umi
0: beis avicha and your father's house, right? I mean, we live in a very different society than Avram did. Is um, it like tribal? Not just, uh, not necessarily tribal, but the idea of living, you know, multi multi generational living, right, right, is a concept you've probably heard, right. <clears throat> the idea that from for generation to generation, people would live in the same house and you grew up with your grandfather and potentially your great grandfather, you know, living in the same, right. you know, in the same building, right? That, that was life for them, right? See, we're so used to a modern American view of life where like you become 18 and you move out of the house. And then you become 25 and you move back into the house, <laughs> right? But, you right? We're used to this kind of American uh, thought, mode of thinking, you know, that, you know, as soon as you're, you become an adult, you get as far away from your parents as possible. That was not the life that was typical in Avram's time. The life that was typical in Avram's time, by the way, there are people who still live like this. You and I know some of them, right? In, in, in... New Square, right? We've, we've talked about this, right? right sure. In New Square, that is the typical, right? Um,
1: I don't want to say too broad of a generalization, but yeah. yeah, people, Right?
0: People. It's very normal that a married couple will be living in the same building as their parents.
1: Right.
0: Right? And to you and I, that might seem strange. Right. To them, not only does it not seem strange, but it gives them a certain st- sense of stability, Right. Right. And if you take them out of that, right, they they start floundering. Right. Right.
1: Can I ask you a question? Sure. About Orcustom um I guess my basic of schooling is failing me right now cuz I don't remember like afterwards like they were like okay, I guess we're not going to kill him and l- go ahead and live your life, go back to your father's house, everything is normal now like No. So not to minimize, I mean, but why wouldn't this wouldn't that make this less of a test? Sure. W- what was Avram's situation at this point? They had left it? already. Who left?
0: His his family. Khar, his his father Terov, yeah. had left already. Left. Left where they grew up.
1: So he went with his father to the next place. Correct. They left because Avram was no longer welcome there. Yeah. So Avram's father stuck by him, even though he yeah.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. Not our our discussion right now, but Avram was not the first person to travel to Canaan. His father was. His father initially left to go to Canaan. Right. But as was true with so many Jews, including probably my father's family, they found somewhere more comfortable in the meantime.
1: Right. (laughs) Right.
0: You know? Um, so, you know, my, for my father's family, it was finding Ireland on the way to the promised land of America. <laughs> you know, for 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 Terach, it was finding you know Charan on the way to Canaan from Orkastim.
1: Right.
0: But either way, they had settled there. They had settled in Charan, and now. He is being challenged to go to the land Asher eka the land that I will show you. I want and to that's talk. That's also about that.
1: part of the test.
0: What? How so?
1: Because I mean, just go, and I'll tell you where to go. I could never.
0: Exactly. That's what Rashi means. Rashi says, "Our share, our Eka, that I will show you." It was to give him reward. He didn't tell him where he was going. So that he would get reward for each and every debor, for each and every command that he was given. I think what Rashi means to say is exactly what you're saying. Rashi means to say, can you imagine not knowing where you're going?
1: No, I cannot. I uh,
0: God, where do I go next? Right? Imagine. No, I cannot. Imagine you're you're You know this. This happens, right? You're somewhere with. The, you're headed somewhere with the GPS, and all of a sudden you lose. Right? Service. You lose service and the GPS shuts, and you're like, where Where's in the world am I going? Right? Right. right. Well, Abraham is GPS less.
1: Right. He's just waiting right? for God's next instruction. Oh,
0: yeah? God, got anything to say? Oh, make a right? Yes, sir. <laughs> right? Make a right over here. Right? But this brings us back to what we talked about last week about Abraham's, the way that Abraham walked with God. Right? Avram walked in front of God, meaning
1: right.
0: that's exactly what Avram does. Avram lives in the world of uncertainty. Abraham is the trailblazer. He's willing to move forward, even though he doesn't yet know where the goal is. Right. But that's his test, right? Wow! I want I to point out something very else good at that as well. Test.
1: <laughs> I sure want to point out something it. else as well. Yeah.
0: And in part, I want to point this out because I want to give you the chance to finish up the <laughs> second set of 10 generations from last week. Okay. So last week was Parshas Noach, and we talked about Noach. And this week is Lech we're talking about Avram. There's 10 generations from Noah to Avram. In fact, they are listed in the very end of last week's Torah portion.
1: You don't have to look it up. I can tell you.
0: So... <laughs> Miriam, okay. would you please give us... I might
1: have to start from shame to get to flow. Hold on. Adam she's <laughs> enoshkinah mahalal yorod chanuch misu shalach noach. Just reviewing from last week. Noach, then shame arpachshad shalach eiver peleg r'u srog nachar terach avram avinu. Should I keep going?
0: Avram hu Avraham. Okay. That's how the Pesach goes in... I, uh,
1: did, I, I didn't memorize in that. In Divri
0: Hai <coughs> Okay, so... Yes, 10 generations. What was what did Avram do that Noah didn't do? We talked about this a little bit last week, right? But I want to take a little bit of a, a of a slightly different tack here.
1: Well, I have an answer but I don't know if it's right cuz I don't know if it's that Noah didn't try to make him like help, you know change people around him. Or he just failed at it, but Avram was able to bring people in and, and teach them. And I think
0: you hit it on the head. Right? Noach is actually taken to task by the Zohar for not praying for the people of his generation. For not working hard enough to get them to change. Noach, so to speak, was satisfied with surviving on his own. Mm-hmm. Avram is precisely the opposite. Avram is told... Sodom, the most evil city right. is going to be destroyed and what does he do?
1: He tries to, he tries to save, save him. Right.
0: Right. And this is profoundly uh, emphasized in Avram's desire for children. Think about what the first promise to Avram is. I will make you a great nation.
1: You sure are great.
0: Why does Avram care? Who cares if you're a great nation?
1: He doesn't want to just live his life. He wants to pass on.
0: He wants to pass it on. And he wants to pass it on to the world. Right? And the only way you can pass it on to the world is if your children become a great nation. A nation among the nations that can really stand for itself. Right. Right? And in fact, we are told this explicitly later on. God says in Parsha's Vayera, Ki I love Avram. You want to know why I love him? Asher as banav v'es beso Achrav, because he will instruct his children and his family after him, vishamrutarach Hashem, to guard the way of God.
1: Right? Wow. Yeah.
0: Think about the relationship between Noah and shame versus the relationship between Avram and Yishmal and Yitzchak you ever see any sort of father-son interaction between Noah and shame in the Torah?
1: No, I'm just thinking. Other than shame are... having
0: to cover up right. his father, right. his father's shame, right? <laughs> you on? don't see any sort of father-son interaction there, right? But the Torah is full of father-son interaction between Avram and Shemal and Avram and Yitzchak. Because that is part of who Avram is. Avram is The dad, Av, that's what his name means. He's the father, meaning he lives his life, not for himself, but to pass on to the next generation or to pass on to others. Because he's not only the father of the Jewish people, but he's also Av Hamon Goyim. He's the father of many nations. Well,
1: he's the father of the Arabs, or the Muslims. As
0: well, right? Um, But he's the father of monotheism, right Right. and monotheism is really one of the if not the fashioning force behind the world as we know it today but not not necessarily our discussion right now i would love to go down that tangent right now and discuss monotheism and the unified theory but not our discussion right now
1: maybe we'll do a special episode on that because now i want to know and i'm sure people listening want to know
0: Right. And that's what God says, right? I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. And I will make your name great. What does that mean? You will be not blessed, you will be blessing. To Avram, there is no greater blessing, no greater gift than telling him you will be the blessing for the rest of the world. You might not have had this experience. I don't know. Because in the from Jewish world, it's not really such a thing. But my Christian friends have said to me, you know, you're such a blessing. Mm -hmm. Right? You are. Right? But what does that mean? Maybe
1: it's because I'm not a blessing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No. I think it's just the circles that you and I have moved in. Right? But what does that mean for uh, if you say a person is a blessing? You can't be a blessing in your own life. You can only be a blessing in someone else's life.
1: Right.
0: Think about it, right? right. So, the, one of the greatest gifts that Avram can get, now that we've understood what Avram is about, is, Veye bracha, you will be blessing. Not you'll be blessed, you will be blessing, Right? I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. And all of the families of the earth will be. I'm going to not take Rashi's interpretation in this case.
1: Okay.
0: Um, Rashi's interpretation in this case is. Similar to what we were saying before, Nivruhu means to have blessing. So all of the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Uh, one of the problems with it is with that interpretation, is it seems a little bit repetitive. I'm going to take, actually, Reshbam's, uh interpretation here, because I think it's fascinating. Okay. In Hebrew, um, lehavrich means to graft. V'nivrechu vecha means that all of the families of the earth will graft into you. Now, what does that mean? I was right? going to ask. So, grafting in terms of plants means mixing, essentially, two different plants. Right. Right? So, maybe this is controversial, but so be it. <laughs> right? Uh-oh. I don't think the Torah is saying that you should intermarry with all the nations of the world. Right. It seems pretty clear from later, seems pretty clear from later in the Torah, that's not the idea. However, here's perhaps the controversial part. I do think that the Torah wants you to be engaged with With the the rest of the world. And in that sense, you can graft with them. Right. As Chazal tell us, as our sages tell us, Chachma bagoyim or ba'umos, Tameh. If someone tells you there's wisdom out there in the nations, Believe them. Right, right. Torah ba'umos al-tamin. If they tell you that there is Torah out there in the nations, don't believe them. And we'll have to define the difference between Chachma and Torah, right? Right. But there is wisdom out there. And in fact, this is perhaps a more maybe Kabbalistic idea. Okay. But there's this idea that there are sparks of holiness scattered throughout the world. And part of the reason why the Jewish people, this is based on the Orachaim and the Arizal, part of the reason why the Jewish people needs to go into exile is to gather in those sparks. Interesting. And I think the idea that we're being told is there is something that we are meant to learn from the different nations that we go into exiling. We're meant to capture the good.
1: I was going to say it's something to learn what not to do, but you're saying there's something
0: good. I don't think so. I think that's true, too. You know, they say, okay. Who is the wise man? Adam, The one who learns from every person. So Abraham Lincoln famously said, right? And from some people, I learned what not to do. Okay. <laughs> right? But I don't think that's the idea. Because if that were the case, is there something to learn what not to do different from each of the different nations that we go to?
1: Probably. I don't know. I'm not an expert.
0: (laughs) I think there's more something to learn to do properly from each of the different nations that we go to. Now, it takes mining, right? And it takes sensitivity, and it takes skill. And this is part of a whole discussion in and of itself. This was part of the difference of opinion between Yosef and his brothers, which maybe when we get to Parsha's Vageshev we'll we'll get the opportunity to discuss Right? It's very dangerous, this idea, which is why I said it's controversial, right?
1: Because you can easily go the other way and learn the wrong thing.
0: Sure. But I do think that what the Torah is telling us here, the the way that the Rosh Bam is explaining it, that they will be grafted into you, is that there is something for us to learn from the nations of the world. We're meant to take those tools and apply them to Torah. So let's get back to that question. What's the definition of chokhmah, of wisdom, versus Torah? There's one fundamental difference between wisdom and Torah, and that is God. Okay. Torah is about a relationship with God. It's the instructions, not just for living, even though we've been saying instructions for living, instructions for living, But it's the instructions for living in partnership with God. Chachma, wisdom, is instructions for living, period. Interesting. You can take that chachma, you can take that wisdom, and implement it into Torah, and implement it into your relationship with God, right? But you have to adjust it, adapt it, right? Right.
1: Interesting. Okay. So how does that work? How do you take now um, Chachma and adapt it into Torah?
0: I think part of it is what we were talking about before, is making sure that you take what you learn and apply it to Torah and see what does Torah say about this and see how does it fit into the Torah framework or not. Because the Torah framework will define whether you reject it or accept it.
1: Right, right. Okay, that makes sense.
0: Let's do one more verse. That's and it. I think.
1: We just got started.
0: Um, we'll just get started, but okay. okay. Um Avram. And so Avram went, Hashem, as God had told him. Lot. And Lot went with him.
1: Okay.
0: Avram and Avram at the time Ben was seventy-five years old. Mecharan when he left Haran. <clears throat> I want to talk about Lot for a minute, because Lot really is to a certain degree, the focus of this week's Torah portion.
1: Okay.
0: All
1: right. Um, but wouldn't you consider him a failure by Avram?
0: Well, we'll have to see in next week's Torah portion whether he's a failure or not. Okay. In Avram's definition. But notice we're going to see the description of Lot as always being kind of... Tangential to Avram, right? Ito And Lot went with him. Next verse. Avram Sarai Ishto. took his wife Sarah, Sarai at the time, and Lot his nephew, right? And all of the possessions that they had amassed. The Asher and the people. Uh, that they had acquired in Haran. That would be the simple understanding of the verse. Right? Are we
1: talking about slaves? Yes,
0: that would be the simple understanding of the verse. So
1: basically, Avram would be canceled by today's.
0: Uh... Everyone in the world at the time would be canceled by today's standards.
1: Okay.
0: Right, because slavery was a very typical part of right. life. You know. It, it,
1: I didn't mean to start something.
0: No, it, it's it's kind of a discussion worth having. Um maybe we'll leave it for Parsha Smishbatim when we talk about slavery. <laughs> okay. Um we'll leave it for then. Um, the other possibility, Ves Hanefesh Asherah V'Charan, is that as Rashi quotes the Midrash, that they had um brought people into the religion right right and when you when a person converts it's as if they are created anew right they are born again and so um that's what is it is referring to um okay. i want to talk about that for a minute though okay because these people disappear
1: once Yitzhak is born
0: yeah I think that's really important, because it mm-hmm. goes back to what we were talking about before. Yitzchak is not Avram. Yitzchak is not per se interested in spreading the word. Right.
1: He just wants to learn Torah
0: to a certain degree.
1: Okay. Right. Is that not? Is, does that like? I don't know how to say this without sounding very irreverent. No. How is he better than Noach then?
0: Because Yitzchak has a different
1: function,
0: Okay. right? Noach, at, until Avram came around, God was looking for the Avram figure.
1: Right? But once he...
0: Once Avram comes around, Yitzchak now has a different function. Okay. Um, the way that Rav Huntner put it um, is Avram is the first person who became a Jew. Yitzchak is the first person who was... Born a Jew. And those are two different things. So until Avram, we were looking for the person who will become the Jew, right? Which, maybe I'll close with this. You know, Avram is referred to as Avram Ha'ivri, the Hebrew. In fact, the term Jew only really comes about much later. In history. When? Uh, It's only after the, really after the destruction of the first Pesach Mikdash, after the destruction of the first temple, that the term Jew really appears. Let me explain. Okay. Okay. Until that point, they are referred to as Ivryim. They're Hebrews. Because the word Jew comes from the word Yehudi. Yehudi comes from the word Yehuda, but there were 12 tribes, not just Judah. But if you know Jewish history, you know that during the first temple period, 10 of those tribes right. went into exile. And what was left was primarily
1: Sheva Yehuda.
0: Yehuda, the tribe of Judah. Right? So the first person we really hear referred to as a Jew is. is Mordechai, is really the first person we hear referred to as Yehudi. Which is fascinating because there's a whole discussion in the Gemara. Was he really from the tribe of Yehuda? I thought he was Ben Yair, Ben Shimi, Ben Kish, Ish, Yimini. I thought he's from the tribe of Benjamin. Okay. Right? So it could be that the term Yehudi there actually means something different than Judah. It means Jew. Right? And that's really the first time that we find the term Jew being used. Right? Avram is referred to as Avram Ha'ivri. He's the Hebrew. Now, the word Ivri means.
1: Wander? Like from over there?
0: Yes. Three possibilities. Either Aver comes from what was one of the generations? shame, or Pachshad.
1: So like Ever.
0: So Ivri maybe means from the family of Eivir. That's how the Kuzari okay. interprets it. However, there's two other possibilities. Ivri might mean from the other side, meaning Avram lived in Canaan, but he was not a local. He was from the other side he was from mesopotamia he was from the other side of the river he was from between the two rivers and he crossed over oh, the between river between
1: the two rivers from the river to the sea
0: no different, mm, different from the rivers river to the sea oh, okay. that's river and sea
1: <laughs> okay
0: sorry but he crossed over so one is that he was a foreigner and we and if you look at the beginning of this week's parsha that's very much a focus avram travels through the land but he's not a local right right the other possibility which is i think the more fascinating interpretation which our sages suggest is Kol ha'olam kulo me'ever achad, vihu me'ever hasheni. the whole world is on one side he and he's on the other take
1: a difference yes
0: avram is the iconoclast in the most literal sense of the word and i think your father would be very proud <laughs> Of my use of the word literal here because what does the word iconoclast literally mean? Um, What are icons?
1: Like a symbol?
0: Yeah. Specifically, an idol is an example of an icon. Okay. A physical symbol of a concept. That's an icon. What does "clast" mean? If you remember from high school biology, you might have learned about osteoclasts and osteoblasts.
1: Yeah, I don't remember.
0: Cells which destroy bone and cells which build bone. Um, Clast means to destroy. An iconoclast is someone who destroys destroys icons. (laughs) Destroys idols. So now we understand the midrash. Remember that Midrash, which I, we were talking about before, how, that we learned in elementary school, how Abraham went around smashing the idols? Right. What the Midrash is telling us is that Abraham was an iconoclast. He fought against the world. And that's what it means to be a Jew.
1: Not the Yehudi
0: element, but the Ivri element. And we see it so clearly today.
1: Right.
0: The whole world is on the other side. And that's the test. The test to be a child of Avram, to be an Ivry, to be a Jew, to be a Hebrew, is to be able to live life with the whole world on the other side and you on this side. That's our challenge. And so, with that in mind, we'll leave you. (laughs) Thank you very much for listening.
1: That's a lot to think about. Wow. All right. Thank you.